0: Exodus 34 is actually where we're going to be camping out over the next uh, probably five to six weeks. And um, the thing about Exodus 34, we're going to be in verse six and seven specifically. Uh, 34, Exodus 34, six and seven is actually the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. And so very few of us probably are familiar with Exodus 34, 6, and 7, but it really was like the John 3, 16 uh, of its day, really for thousands of years. It's such an important verse to men like Samson that he would paint it over his eyelids before he would go into battle. So this is a really important passage because it is really uh, one of the only passages in the Bible where God actually tells us, hey, this is what I want you to call me. Like, this is my name. This is who I am. And so we're just going to dive through this line by line over the next five to six weeks so we can learn how to relate to God in a healthy, life-giving way. And for this week, to kind of help us get a running start, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. Exodus 34, verse 1, and I am reading from the NIV translation, and of course, if you have a Bible app, you can get all of our uh, sermon notes off the Version app um, if you would like those. Exodus 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write write the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. talking about the Ten Commandments here. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Let's pray together one more time and then we'll dive into it. Father, we... Desperately need to know you as you really are. And so I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and you would open our hearts um, to get a picture, to get a glimpse of your glory this morning and throughout the series so that we can experience in you truly the fulfillment and the satisfaction that we are longing for. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and that you would make it not just words on a page, but explosively alive in our hearts this morning. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Who is God? Is God a he or a she or an it or a they? Is God nice or mean, strong or weak, close by and involved or far off? And aloof. Who is God? This is, I believe, of all the questions we could be asking, this question is the question that we must get an answer to. As A.W. Tozer says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most determining fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he, in the deepest place of his heart, conceives God to be like. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us? Like, really? Is it, is it really more important than my gender? Is it more important than my sexuality? Is it more important than my ethnicity? Is it more important than my family of origin or where I grew up at or where I go to school or what college football team I root for? Is it more important than where I live or where I work or what I made on the ACT? Is it really the most important thing about me? My answer to that question is absolutely. Because what you need to understand today is that at the end of the day, your view of God, and we all have a view of God in here, whether you're an atheist or not, Your view of God, for better or worse, will shape you, define you, and set the trajectory for your entire life. That's how important this is. And so if you think of God, for example, as capricious or untrustworthy, you're gonna feel anxious about your life. If you think of God as aloof or distant, you will feel insignificant, lonely, or overlooked. If you think of God as an angry warlord, it'll turn you into a judgmental, intolerant bigot. If you think of God as kind of this West Coast educated, LGBTQ affirming progressive, you will look down on others who are not as enlightened as you are and you'll become intolerant towards people's intolerance. And why is that? Because again, your view of God, which we all have for better or worse, will shape you into the kind of person that you are becoming. This is why pastor and author John Mark Comer says the following, the ISIS terrorist beheading the infidel The uh, the prosperity celebrity pastor getting out of his Hummer after late-night drinks with Kanye West. The Westboro Baptist uh, protester outside a military funeral screaming, God hates gays. The U.S. Army sniper praying to God before he takes a shot. The peace activist risking her own life in order to stop another war because she believes Jesus' teachings on enemy love. The gay singer who thanks God at the Grammys or the Catholic nun who swore to a life of celibacy. All of these men and women are doing what they do. Why? Because of what they believe about God. So clearly, this matters. What you think about God has profound implications on who you are and how you live your life. And this is where the problem comes in. Because for many of us, though we walk into the room today and we all assume clearly, I know everything I need to know about God... The reality is there are many of us who have grown up with a counterfeit version of God. Whether it be because of uh, of, of uneducated people who are telling us this is what God is like or be because uh, of demonic attacks or, or lies that are fed to us from the enemy, most of us, I believe, have been sold on half-truths about God that do not accurately reflect his beauty and his glory. And if that's not bad enough, to make matters worse because we are all tempted to conform God more into uh, our image rather than having God conform us into his image. We all tend to want to worship a God who, get this, looks an awful lot like us. Um, I think about New Testament professor Scott McKnight who for years, at the beginning of the semester, he would give his students two different surveys. The first survey was about the student. What do you like? What do you dislike? What do you believe? And so on. The second survey was about God. Same set of questions, but about God. And what McKnight found out, in out, all of his years of teaching, is that 90% of the time, the answers to both surveys were exactly the same. Right, That according to the students, 9 out of 10 times, God, ironically enough, was just like them. And that is because, if we can be honest, we all like to worship a God who agrees with us on everything. We want a God who hates all the people that you hate. A God who votes for the people that you vote for, who is passionate about the things you're passionate about. A God whom you never get mad at or blown away by or scared of. A God who is completely controllable and therefore, listen, a God who is absolutely a figment of your imagination. This is a temptation for all of us, guys. And that is why we are launching this series, because we want to be a people who go from trying to conform God into our image to being conformed into His image, because then and only then, when we worship God as He truly is, can we experience the life that we were created to experience. Does that make sense? And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Exodus 34, 6 and 7 over the next five to six weeks, but to kind of help set the context for you, I want you to look back in Exodus 33, verse 1. And what's happening here in Exodus 33 is the nation of Israel has just left Egypt. They've been in bondage, been in slavery there. They're now on their way to the promised land. Moses, Israel's leader, is on top of Mount Sinai trying to get the Ten Commandments, and apparently because he's taking longer than Israel thinks that he should take, they take off their jewelry, they melt it down, and out of it they make this golden statue, this calf, that is a tangible representation of a false god that they can worship instead of the one true God. So this is a horrible betrayal of God after all he's done for them. And look at how God responds, Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So despite the fact that you have sinned horrifically against me, I'm still going to give you this land that I have promised to your fathers. And, look at this, not only that, verse 2, I will send out an angel before you, and I'll drive out your enemies, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites. So go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But look at this. I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Now, I just want to stop there and point this out. For most of us, particularly if you are American, this is a dream offer for you. Because what God just said is, though I am not going to be with you, I'm still going to give you the land I promised you. Meaning, you can still get health. You can still get wealth, you can still get success, you can get fame, you can get all of this stuff, and you can get it without any real obligation to me. You don't have to maintain the temple, you don't have to give tithes to the church, you don't have to be a part of any religious duties, just blessing. That is the offer from God to Moses. And look how Moses responds in verse 15. Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, God, my life, apart from your presence, is pointless. God, if I don't have you, I have nothing. Therefore, if you're not moving, I'm not moving. If you're not going, I'm not going. I just want to stop and ask you this morning, is that the way you would have responded? If you would have been put in this situation, if God offered to give you everything that you dream of right now, that you feel like you need to be happy, but he offered it to you apart from his presence, would you take the offer? If you knew that you could, for example, have more money, or you could finally get better health, or you could marry the spouse of your dreams, or have healthy and successful kids, like even more successful than their peers, but God's presence would not go with you, if that was his offer, would you take it? For Moses, because he believed that God was not only useful but beautiful, because he believed that God was not just a means to an end, but God himself was the end, he said, if your presence does not go, I'm not going. I'm not going. I listened to a podcast this past week with Mike Tyson. Um, anybody in here remember Mike Tyson? Yeah. Yeah. That is a bad man. Anybody here ever play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on a regular Nintendo? Heck yeah, man. Let's meet after the service, and let's talk. Um, man, there has never been a better dude on the planet than Mike Tyson when he was in his prime. He was the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. In uh, this podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how literally he was winning his fights before they even started. Like They would have to try to pull fighters out of their room to fight him because they were so scared to get in a room. He was knocking guys out in like 30 seconds, right? But go to the next slide. Um, as we can see, like Mike Tyson's not exactly Kid Dynamite anymore. Um, he could probably still knock all of us out, right? But he don't have the cool hair. right? He's got a gray beard, doesn't have six-pack abs. And in this podcast that I listened to, he talked about how he is now spending $2,000 a month on pot just to try to numb the pain that is in his life. And I share that with you this morning, not to beat up on Mike Tyson, but just to say this. It is very possible for you to be on top of the world one day, but then the next day you're the old guy fighting for relevance and respect. You can be beautiful and in shape and strong today, but eventually things are going to begin to sag and droop and ache, and no amount of eating right or exercising is going to stop that. You can have a healthy family that looks good, but as we have seen happen all too often, death comes without warning. And before you know it, you're gathered around a graveside, around someone that you love. And you see, because Moses has the wisdom and the insight to realize this, he says, God, I do not want to build my life on things that are going to be in a junkyard or in a graveyard. God, if you are not with me, I have nothing. Therefore, if you don't move, I do not move. And look how God responds to this in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. In other words, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with Israel because I'm pleased with you. And I know you by name. And then verse 18, Moses said, now God, show me your glory. In other words, this is an all-in statement. I don't just want a little bit of you. I want all of you. I want you to show me, God, exactly what you are like so I can experience you in your fullness, to which God then responds in verse 19. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And then if you look back to Exodus 34, which you read earlier, In verse 5, it says, The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses. And he did just as he said. He proclaimed his name, the Lord. And then he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming again, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So get this. Moses says to God, I want you to show me your glory. I want to experience more of what you're like, and what does God do? He says, I'll do one better. I'm going to proclaim to you my name, which to us in the Western culture, that seems pretty anticlimactic, doesn't it? Because to us, what is a name? It's a label or a tagline. But in the ancient Near East, here's what this is such a big deal. A name to someone in the ancient Near East was a person's identity. It was who they are. It summed up the person's entire way of being. So, whenever Moses says, Show me your glory, the reason God says, I am going to give you my name is because he says, By giving you my name, I'm telling you what I'm actually like. And then, what does God do? The very first title he gives for himself, if you look again in verse 5 and 6, is he says, I am the Lord. In verse 5, the Lord came down and stood, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. So here's what I want to do in the time we have left this morning. For our purposes today, I just want to answer that question. What exactly is behind this name, the Lord, that God gives for himself? And what implications does that actually have on our lives? Okay? So, in order to answer that question, flip over with me to Exodus 3. Last place I'm going to have you look this morning. Exodus chapter 3 started in verse 1. And just to set the context for you here, despite the fact that Moses started out life with a good deal of confidence, Moses actually started out with a high-paying job. He was the prince of Egypt. He also apparently was a good-looking man who looked like Charlton Heston. Um, or, in more recent times, Christian Bale. Despite the fact that he started out really well, had everything great going for him, by the time we come to Exodus 3, verse 1, Moses is wanted for murder. He has lost his position as the prince of Egypt, and therefore he is now trying to make a living herding sheep, which, by the way, listen to me, guys, has never been a sexy job, okay? Nobody has ever coveted the position of a shepherd, And to make matters worse, by the way, Moses is working for his father-in-law at this point, which I love my father-in-law, but I'm sure it complicated matters just a little bit. Okay. So just get this. Like here is a man, Moses, please get this. He feels like he's blown it. Anybody ever been there? I mean, this is a man who thinks, okay, my life is now clearly on plan B. This is an insecure man who feels like an absolute failure, like a not good enough. And yet, while he's sitting here hanging out with sheep, look what happens. Exodus 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, that the bush is on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I'll see this strange sight while the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I just want to make this point clear. In the Bible, anytime someone encounters the presence of God, they don't go up and just be like, hey, yo, what's up, my homeboy? They fall on their face in fear because of how awesome and holy that God is. So I've come down, God says, to rescue them. Oh, hang on, let me go back. Verse 7, I'm going skip this. Such a powerful verse. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. A whole sermon series could be on that. Listen, God hears your cries, and he cares about your suffering. That's what we see right here. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way of the Egyptians and how they are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people to Israel or bring, bring my people to Israelites out of Egypt. And look how Moses responds. Verse 11. God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, wait a minute, God. Like, when did the subject shift to me? I thought we were talking about how you are going to come down out of heaven and you're going to be the one who frees the Israelites from Egypt. And that would be pretty awesome. Like, I'd like to sit back and watch that. But now, God, you're talking about sending me? Like, you want to see me do this? Like, God, don't you realize I am an aging, stuttering shepherd who, by the way, is wanted for murder back in Egypt where you are sending me? God, what in the world makes you think that a guy like me could ever be used by you in such incredible ways like that? And how does God respond in verse 12? Here's how. Because Moses, I will be with you. Isn't that great? Moses says, God, I can't do this. And what does God do? He doesn't look at Moses and say, all right, man, let me give you you a pep talk. Moses, here's what I want you to do. Go look in a mirror and just say to yourself over and over, I'm a bad man. Right? He doesn't say, man, you got to just envision the victory. If you can just envision it, you can get it. He doesn't say, believe in yourself. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, he says, Moses, I know you're a broken man. I know that you've made terrible decisions. I know you have issues. But at the end of the day, your power and your confidence is not rooted in your performance, but rather it's rooted in my presence. That's where the power comes from. To which Moses then responds in verse 13 by basically saying, touche. Okay. But suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent me to you. That phrase, I am, without trying to get super technical, comes from the Hebrew root word, "hayah," like in karate. So let's just all say it together because it's kind of fun on three, all right? One, two, three. Hayah! Isn't that fun? That was good. And this word literally can be translated, what I am, I always will be. Meaning, listen to this, whatever God is like, he is like that way consistently. He is unshifting. Who he is, is who he always will be, 24-7, no matter what is going on around him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's crazy to me because that's just not... How I am I mean I think i'm a pretty nice guy Most of the time as long as I got enough sleep As long as our house is clean And our kids aren't going crazy Right and 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 everything goes well at work. I mean for the most part i'm a pretty nice guy But the circumstances have to be right If the circumstances change good chance I might become kind of grouchy. I might change You need to know that god's not like that He is the same Always I And mean, we've all met people haven't we where you meet someone you're like, oh man that guy that girl they're just, they're just such an outstanding person. They got such great character. They're such a person of integrity But then what happens you get that text or you get that phone call or you get that knock on the door And all of a sudden you discover there's a double life that's been hidden in the shadows God is not like that With god. There is no facade. There is no double life when god says I am who I am What he is saying is who I am. I always will be no matter what This is a God you can rely on. This is a God you can trust in, even when it seems like everything has fallen apart or everyone else has turned their back on you. This is a God you can depend on 100% of the time. And the reason I draw all of this out, the reason I, I make a point to bring this up is, listen, when God proclaims his name as the Lord in all caps in Exodus chapter 34 what you need to realize is the same root word that is used here in Exodus 3 for I am. That word Haya, it's the same root word that is translated as the Lord in all caps in Exodus 34. Meaning this, the first thing that God wants you to know about himself, in his self-disclosure statement right here in Exodus 34 about what he is like, he says, the main thing I want you to know is this, that I am Unchanging. That I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, no matter what the circumstances are around you. And in the context of Exodus 34, here's what this means. Please get this. What God is then saying is this. When he proclaims himself as the Lord, what he is saying is, I am always, verse 6, as the Lord, the Lord, I am always compassionate. I am always gracious towards you. I am always, God says, slow to anger. It's just who I am. I am always abounding in love and faithfulness, even if everybody else hates you. I am always forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation. And listen, here's the thing. We're going to unpack all of that over the next five or six weeks. And I think it's going to be life-changing for some of you. You're going to encounter God for the first time in your life through this series. But here's what I want to do in the time that we have left this morning. I just want to share with you very quickly three implications that I want to take away from this story, this encounter between Moses and God. And the first thing I want you to see this morning as we look at how God interacts with Moses and the Israelites is this. First thing you need to know about God in this series is this God is a personal being. Meaning, God is not an impersonal force, He's not a concept or an idea or a chapter in a theology textbook that we just debate over. God is not a church. He's not a religion. He's not a system. God is a personal being. He is relational. I mean, if you look at how he relates to Moses, he says, hey, wake up tomorrow morning, right? Meet me on the mountain. And he meets him there, and they have a dialogue, a conversation. I mean, at one point, it almost seems like Moses and God are on the same playing field. Now, we know they're not, but it seems that way. And what I want you to see is the same way that God relates to Moses, he wants to relate to you and to me. God wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you. This is God's heart for you. Do you realize today, God's heart for you is not just for you to be a good person. God's heart for you is not just for you to not drink, not smoke, not cuss, and not watch rated R movies, unless, of course, it's the passion of Christ, right? That's not as... That's not just That's not just the only thing. His desire for you, get this, God's heart for you, his desire for you is for you to live wrapped up in his presence. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For you to experience in him the life and the fulfillment you are longing for. More than God wants you to have a religion, he wants you to have a relationship with him. And if you ever doubt that, all you have to do is to look to the cross where the Bible says that rather than God sparing his own son, gave him up for you so that you could have a relationship with him. God is a personal being. On top of that, what that then means is point number two I want you to get this morning is you can know God. You can know him. Some of you, maybe you've heard me tell this story before, so I'll try to spare the details. But when I was in college, through kind of a little um, shifty, maybe a little shady move, I snuck uh, backstage at at the Arrowhead Music Festival that was headlining Tommy Lee. And, uh, I convinced the people backstage that I was a uh, stagehand, So I would actually like take equipment off the stage whenever a band was done and put equipment back on the stage. And at one point, right before Tommy Lee was supposed to go up and play, he came out from his little green room. He stands right beside me and we have a moment. I look at him in the eyes. He looks at me in the eyes and I just say, Hey, what's up, Tommy? And he looks at me and he goes, Hey man. And then he just walked away and went somewhere else. And here's the thing. For the next two years, if anybody brought up Tommy Lee, how do you think I acted about it? Oh, we were best friends. (laughs) I mean, the way I talked about him, you'd be like, dude, is he your cousin or something? Y'all seem like really close. Like, I mean, we were tight. I was in Tommy Lee's posse, at least the way I presented myself. When in reality, I talked to the dude for like 4.6 seconds. And here's the reason I share that. My fear this morning is that there are some of you in here today who you know God like I know Tommy Lee. You know some things about him, but you don't really know him. And because you don't know him as he really is, one way that you can figure out you don't know him as he really is is you do not enjoy him. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you enjoy God My question is not, have you been baptized? Have you prayed a prayer? Do you enjoy God? For some of you, you have, in theory, given God your afterlife, but you have not given him this life. And you just need to hear me say this. If you don't give God this life, you don't get him in the afterlife. Please hear this. You do not go to heaven because you don't want hell. You go to heaven because you want God. And there are some of you in here today, you don't want God because you have not seen him yet as he really is. And if that is where you are today, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. As Luke said, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. You can work through all your questions and your fears and your doubts and try to figure out who God really is here. And you can do that on his timing, not on our timing. So I want you to know that. But secondly, what I want you to know today is this. I don't care who you are what you've done. You can know God. Yeah. You can know him. You can go from just knowing about him to experiencing him in a real and personal life-giving relationship because Jesus Christ has come and accomplished for you through his life, death, and resurrection, by living a perfect life you could never live, by dying a death you deserve to die, and I deserve to die on the cross, and then raising from the dead, you now can stand before God holy, blameless, and accepted. And so therefore, if you've never trusted in him, I want to encourage you to do that right now, to trust your life to Jesus Christ. To surrender everything you have to him. To believe that he truly is better than your stuff. He's better than your kids. He's better than your career. He's better than everything and anything else that we could come up with. And if you're here today and you're like, well, I've already done that. Well, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Continue to put your faith in Jesus. Continue to do things like reading the Bible. Do you realize, man, this is God's word to us and it's active and living. Let's pursue the presence of God by being people of the word by immersing ourselves in the scripture. Let's be people who continue to, to pray, to not neglect that great privilege we have. I was telling the early service, I mean, think about this, that, that, that back in the day, man, if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you had to be a priest, and then you had a priest who had to go through all of these different ceremonies and clean, and cleansings and, and all this different stuff, and, and hopes that you didn't have any blemishes on you or any sin in your life, because if you did, as soon as you walked into God's presence, you'd be obliterated. That's why when a priest would go into the temple, they would tie a rope around him, so that if he did die, they would just pull him out of rope because no one wanted to go in after him. And yet we don't have to live like that anymore. You can right now through Jesus Christ enter into the presence of God and you can know him. So let's be the people who read the scripture, people who pray, people who get involved in in DNAs and try to figure out what is the disconnect between what I say I believe in my head and what's going on in my heart. Let's keep showing up here. Let's not take for granted, granted the Sunday gathering we have gifted musicians who work hard to proclaim the truth through music and through the teaching of the word, let's be a people who are devoted to knowing God because God wants you to know him. And then out of an overflow of that, let's make him known to men, women, and children in our city and beyond. Third, what I would just say is this, and a final implication this morning is, not only is God a personal being, not only can you know him, but listen, knowing God as I am changes your identity. It changes your entire life. Moses was incredibly insecure. He had personal disabilities. You know, he had a speech impediment, whether it was a stuttering problem or like a high-pitched voice, kind of like Pee Wee for those of you who are uh, children of the 90s, you know, Pee Wee Herman. He had personal disabilities. He had personal failures. He killed a guy, and he had personal doubt. In Exodus 3.11, he asked the question to God, like, who am I? To which God responds to Moses by saying, Not this is who you are, but more importantly, Moses, this is who I am. Because at the end of the day, Moses, you need to realize that my I am ness always overcomes your I am not ness. So whenever you show up to God and you say, Thank you. When you show up to God and you say, I am not very good, guess what God says, I am. I'm not very skilled, what's God gonna say? I am, I'm not a steady person, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, what's God's response? I am, no one's on my team, no one's listening to me, I am, in me, God says to Moses, you have everything you need to live the life I'm calling you to live. And as great as that is, as great as that is, what I want you to hear today is if you've trusted in Jesus, you have something even better than that. Because in the gospel of John, we see Jesus, who is God in the flesh, repeatedly taking this name, I am, and then declaring it into our weaknesses. And so, for example, Jesus says, to those of you this morning who find yourself living in darkness, I am the light. To those who thirst, I am living water. To those who feel lost, I am the way. To those who are confused, I am the truth. To those who have been let down, I am the good shepherd. I will never let you down. To those who need a fresh start, I'm the door. To those who feel they're about to die, I am the resurrection and the life. This is God's declaration into your weakness this morning. And here's what's so important about this. Whenever you give your life to Jesus... Think about this for a moment. Whenever you give your life to Jesus, do you realize you take God's name, I am. Which means the properties of I am become yours. Because you become one with Jesus, united to him, and Jesus is I am, what he has, you now have. In 2 Peter 1, 4, Peter says, because you are one with Christ, you are a participant in his divine nature. In other words, God's DNA is running through you. His nature is now inside of you. What is true of Him is true of you. You have any idea what that means this morning? You have any idea what that means? It means that everything you desperately want for yourself to be known. Does anybody know me? To be accepted, to be beautiful. Am I beautiful? To be safe, to be secure, to be embraced, to be cherished, all those things you long for are already yours in Christ. And here's what that means for us as a church. I just want to make a declaration on behalf of the pastors. I'm going to tell you something you're no longer allowed to do here. You are no longer, if you were in Christ, allowed to say, I am so stupid. I am a loser I'm such a terrible parent I'm an addict Can't say that anymore because listen Though sure you may have an addiction problem Though sure you might have blown it big time as a parent this week Anybody else besides me blown it as a parent Though you may have failed or dropped the ball Because none of those things define Jesus They don't define you It's not who you are. Whatever you're not, whatever you need, whatever you didn't get from your mom or your dad or your teachers, whatever you're not getting from someone else, God says to you, through Christ, I am. So here's my challenge to you this week. When you leave here and Satan begins to just slap you in the face with lies, or you begin to have those haters in your heart whisper to you all these things of, You're not this, you're not that, you're not this. Here's what you shout back. You're right, but because Jesus is and I am in him, what is true of him is now the truest thing about me. We have everything we need, everything we need, and that's what's behind this name, the Lord. And a lot of that, what you think about God, as we said at the beginning, is the most important thing about you. But I would say equally right up there is not only what you think about God, but what God thinks about you. And I'll tell you right now, if you're in Christ, I don't care what you did this morning or last night, how bad you blew it. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're loved. You are a beloved child of God that God rejoices over you. He sings over you. And so every single week we... Just need to remember this in a tangible way. This isn't our idea. This is Jesus' idea. Jesus said we need this in a tangible reminder. So he gave us the most common thing we need, a piece of bread and some juice. We tear it off. We dip it in the juice. And we remember I'm not who the enemy says I am. I'm not who my dad says I am. I'm not who that coach says I am. I'm not who that employer, my boss, says I'm who God says I am. And I have everything I need in Christ. And so I want to invite you, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you've given him your life, Come and partake of this. We have two stations in the front, two in the back. There's a gluten-free option for you. And and my back left, your back right. We'd love for you to partake. But if you're here today and you are not a Christian, man, I pray today is the day of salvation for you. You realize God's crazy about you? It says that for joy set before him, Christ came and endured the cross. What was the joy set before Christ? What was the one thing Christ didn't have that he had to leave heaven in order to get? You may know, it's you. With great joy, Christ endured all the pain on the cross because he was thinking of you. And if you don't have a relationship with him, I pray that changes today. And if you want more information about that, I'll be up here in the front. Adam will be here. We'd love to talk with you. That being said, I invite you to stand with me. The band's gonna come forward. I'll pray for us. And then we'll partake of communion, sing one more song, and we'll be done. Let's take a moment just to silence our hearts before we head out. We don't want to be, be just hearers of the word. We have done God nor ourselves any favors by just listening this morning, which I'm thankful for, but more than I just want us to be good listeners, then I want us to see the Holy Spirit take these truths and apply them to our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to take what you need to hear today. And to settle it deep into your soul. Father, I thank you for everyone who is here. From the front to the back. Young, old. People who feel rich, poor. Those who feel successful. Those who feel like failures. God, I thank you for everyone who you have brought into this room today. They are not... Father, you, you, you see each person, and I pray that right now through your Holy Spirit that you would capture our hearts, that you would stir our hearts towards you, Jesus. And again, if there's someone here today who has never trusted you, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the faith to step out and to trust that you know better how to run their life than they do. It's in Christ. Let me pray. Amen.